Sego, and welcome to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, October 1st. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk to Native. But first, let me remind people that we stream audio of this program on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. And there's a lot more there besides the media player. We've got uh, videos and links to podcasts and, and a whole lot more. We take the video of the show and we uh, we stream it on our Facebook uh, pages and via Facebook Live. And then we take that video and we put it up on our YouTube channel after the broadcast. We take the audio and we put it up as as podcasts, uh, podcasts after the program. So uh, you've got a number of ways to, to watch the show, to share the show, and to uh, offer your comments. Uh, I am the show's host and producer, and I'm joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our audio and our uh, video as well. Uh, so again, welcome to, welcome to the program. Uh, let me start off. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to talk about residential schools. Last um, Yesterday was Orange Shirt Day, and so I'm going to talk about residential schools. But first, let me. Uh, I want to make an acknowledgement. I want to offer my condolences to um, not just the family of Barry Snyder, but the but the Seneca Nation. Uh, Barry Snyder Sr. passed away at the age of 79 years old uh, this morning uh, on the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. He was the uh, president of Seneca Nation for uh, elected five terms, uh, also served as treasurer, served as uh, on council. He was the uh, uh, the chairman of the Seneca Gaming Corporation for, for much of that time. So, uh, again, I want to offer my condolences to the family, a, a, a large family at that, and certainly a lot of people who... Um, uh, were were devoted towards uh, to Barry Snyder. So I'll uh, again, I wanted to mention uh, his passing and and offer my condolences to all the all those that uh, you know care care about him, cared about him. So um, all right, let me let me get to to the topic I wanted to discuss. As I said yesterday was Orange Shirt Day, an Orange Shirt Day, which is um, again every year on September thirtieth, last day of September, is uh, it, it's a way to display you know. Um, and honor not just the survivors of uh, residential schools, but uh, those who didn't survive, the victims of residential schools, both the surviving victims and uh, victims and the non-surviving victims. And we've we've talked about residential schools on this program before, and uh, but we're going to use this opportunity uh, again, the day after Orange Shirt Day, to, to talk about it again. There's there's still a lot of people who have no idea what the residential schools were. How, uh, how omnipresent they were, how much they, they, they dominated the lives of Native people for over 100 years. There are certain schools that come to mind, Carlisle Indian School, and we'll talk a little bit about Carlisle. Uh, and, of course, if, if the, the writers of American history had their way, all anybody would ever associate Carlisle Indian School with would be Jim Thorpe. And, you know, as they claim, uh, as as a school and as a product of the school is what they would try to claim uh, would become by some estimates America's greatest athlete well he may have been a great athlete but 
I'm not sure that I'm prepared as a Native person to, to give them up to the United States or America uh, or to Carlisle Indian School. But, we'll, and, but we will talk more about Carlisle Indian School. But it's important to realize that these residential schools were you know, pervasive across the U.S. and Canada. They became a, a very looming fixture at a time that our populations had dwindled down to the lowest points in, in, in our existence. I mean, in, by some estimates, in the U.S., the, the native population was down to less than a quarter of a million people, 250,000 people. In Canada, maybe, I don't know if it was lower than that or not, but, it, but when we're talking about that period of time in the, in, in the mid to late 1800s, the 20th, or 19th century, is when our population was at its all-time lowest. I mean, keep in mind that we had a population that may have been 150 million people prior to contact. And while our population may now have, have grown to, you know, uh, to several million, now we were, we were at an all-time low, not just coincidentally, not, not, it's not just a, uh, you know, a corollary, corollary or a, you know, a, it wasn't just running parallel with these things. It, these schools were part of the, the, the population uh, the depopulation program. And we'll talk more about that. I'm mean, one of the things that, that I think people have to realize is that these schools killed native people. I mean, ironically, the, the slogan for these schools as, as coined by Henry Pratt, who was the, uh, the one who started the Carlisle Indian school and, and, and indeed really initiated the, the um, much of the residential school systems that not only were in the U.S. and Canada, but these were these things were were active in in Africa, in Australia, I mean, all over the world. These models were taken in. But his, his motto was "Kill the Indian, save the man." Now, interesting. I mean, I mean, on its face, people would suggest, well, what he was trying to say was kill the Indianness of the uh, of the individual and save the human being out of that individual. But you know what? It wasn't really that. In some cases, it was kill, <laughs> kill the Indian, literally kill the individual. And and some of these kids, they lost their lives as a result of starvation, um, neglect, illness, um, abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, obviously psychological abuse, suicide. Some of these kids died of exposure by running away from these these schools these schools were oftentimes hundreds if not thousands of miles away from their homes they were put on trains they were they were you know literally hauled away in coaches and in wagons away from their homes away from their parents stripped from their parents and taken to these schools uh, i mean there are, there are people who resisted and oftentimes the adults who resisted the the uh the kidnapping of their kids would pay a price uh, and that price would be violence or it would be you know or you know or they would lose something they'd be they'd be shipped off or imprisoned these residential schools were among the most aggressive forms of assimilation that the united states and canada ever employed now and this wasn't just a school to educate no these schools were all run by church denominations Sometimes the Catholic Church or the, the 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 Methodists or the Baptists. I mean, these were all church-run schools. Literally, I mean, separation of church and state, my ass. 
This was the, the, the U.S. government making school and religion mandatory. Not just mandatory, but forced down the throats of these kids. They, these kids lost their names. They were, their names were taken from them. And they were given good biblical names like Joshua and Daniel. Yeah, this is, this is what, um, what these kids went through. They had their hair cut off. They had their, their clothes stripped away. Any items that they might have had that had any cultural significance to it were, were taken away, thrown, burned. If they spoke their language, they were beaten. Not just, not just the, the ivory soap in the mouth. No, we're talking about physical abuse if they, if they tried, even attempted to maintain their, uh, you know, use of their language. They, had, they were indoctrinated, again, uh, w- with religious education and, and, and biblical uh, you know, uh, you know, training over and over and over again. So, <laughs> I mean, it, when, when I, I see some of those old uh, you know, pictures or, or illustrations to put out there, and, well, this is how um, Native people became Christians, by the end of the sword, edge of the sword. It wasn't just by the sword. It was by the sword. Going all the way back to Columbus, but conversion was also something that, again, it, it is the, the quintessential element of, of genocide. Taking children, stealing children, and, and for, enforcing uh, you know, the, the will of, another, of a, another country upon a culture, another culture upon these children. It is, it is, a, essential, it is the definition of genocide. And, you know, in Canada, they, they attempted what they call the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the study of these residential schools, and produced a report on these residential schools. Uh, Murray Sinclair, native person who, who sat as a minister, and I don't even know what these titles are on the Canadian side, but sat as, uh, as a minister for, for the Canadian government, made the determination that, this, that these residential schools... Um, amounted to cultural genocide. And for me, I said, what do you mean cultural genocide? There's no such thing as cultural genocide. There's, there's genocide and there's not genocide. If you, I mean, for one thing, if you kidnap children, if you kill children, if you strip the, you know, all of the identity away from children, that's not cultural genocide. That's genocide. I mean, that's ethnic cleansing. And and it didn't just stop with, with again with with the with the abuse that children um, experienced because of the because of their culture. No, there were sterilization programs that took place during uh, in these schools. W- women, especially, it's funny because they even broke it down. They they looked at native kids, you know, during this this hundred year reign of these schools, and they said, you know what? If the kids are already a half breed, we don't need to sterilize them because. The, the girls are talking about here because they they probably will will continue to um to bear children that will will um will will essentially water down the bloodline so to speak but if they're full bloods let's not wait we'll, we'll let's not let them have children and so these i mean these schools had um power of attorney over these kids they could do anything they wanted to them they didn't need permission from parents or, or government or anything. No, they could do whatever they wanted. 
So uh, many of these many of these native women, young girls, would be would have their tubes tied. They, they would be sterilized. They, you know, whatever surgeries that w- would be performed on them. And the crazy part is, many of these these girls would be sexually assaulted while they were in school. I mean, we we talk about the, the you know the Catholic priest thing, and and of course this isn't just the Catholic Church that's been guilty of of some of these 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 clergy sex scandals. I would argue a big part, and I'm not saying, look, the, the, these churches have always had these kind of these creepy behaviors. But a big part of where this, this clergy sex scandal begins, look, you if you get government funding for schools with no oversight because you're going to let, let churches run them, this and of course there's no parents involved, this is like breeding ground for deviance. And that's exactly what took place at these schools. But as I said, kill the Indian, save the man. And kill they did. I mean, by some estimates, uh, on the U.S. side alone, it was between six to 8,000 children died at residential schools. I mean, and for a variety of reasons. I mean, everything, from, again, from physical abuse, murder, rape, but from suicide, from neglect, on the Canadian side, there was a period of time, and this was publicized in the, in the, in the media even, that the mortality rate in, at, at, at certain por- periods of time during, during these, the operations of these residential schools, the mortality rate was in excess of 50%. 50%. That may, again, in case you're not understanding what I'm saying, half of the children would not survive these residential schools. I'm not saying from start to finish, but but during certain periods of time, especially during the uh, the the spread of tuberculosis, and why? Because native kids weren't quarantined. They were they allowed the stuff to, to to run rampant to to spread throughout the entire population. I mean, they, if you survived tuberculosis in, in a Canadian residential school, it certainly wasn't because of medical care. And this is, and this was by design. Look, this wasn't just neglect; it was intentional neglect. Why? To get our numbers down. Native people have been a a, a black eye for both the U.S. and Canada, and and continue to be today. Today we still are. We're still a pain in the ass to the U.S. and Canada. They don't know how to deal with, deal with native issues. They've never dealt with it properly. And and you look. It's bad enough the United States has this slavery thing they've got to deal with. Or that they're confronted with. And they're not dealing with that adequately either. There's no truth in reconciliation or reparations or anything else associated with that either. But no, there's... Native people still to this day represent a huge problem for the U.S. and Canada. So one of the the, the ways to try to uh, fix the problem as far as the U.S. and Canada were, were concerned is eliminate us. Eliminate us as a population, and and to the extent that they could, if not eliminate us as a population, they could eliminate us as a distinct people. That's that, that's genocide. Genocide is not just about killing; it is killing, but it's not just killing. It's ethnic cleansing. It's the it's it's creating the conditions that will make a people cease to exist. I mean, look, you guys hear me on the, on this program all the time talking about some of the things that our people are so willing to jump into military service, running for office, voting in their elections. I mean, these are, are, 
by these are by definition assimilation to be willing to kill for your oppressor to 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 become part of the system of your own oppression by running for all these offices to cast ballots so you can elect the next uh, uh, you know uh, the this the continuation so you can continue to support your systems these systems of oppression we didn't do this stuff before but now we're being told i mean i've i'm literally in a in a debate with some folks from hawaii are saying oh you don't understand it's the only way that we can protect ourselves is by voting how the hell does voting in their system protect us it it, it doesn't for one thing i don't care who you are or where you are if you're indigenous people you are not a big enough voting block to affect any kind of top-down policy from the federal government or even state government on down. Now, look, you may be able to elect a few local politicians that could have some effect and, and, and have at it. But you know what? If you had strengthened your own government, you wouldn't need to elect any of your own. You wouldn't need to lose some of your people to that system. But see, this is what got ingrained in, in our people through residential schools. Look, there was nothing that could take a population for generations and stripped them away of identity more so than doing it at the at the at the at the child level. Take the children. That's what they did. They took the children. And and their motto, kill the Indian and save the man. In the best case scenario, what they are suggesting there is that you will kill that nativeness. And by stripping away all of that savagery, that native stuff what you could have is is a is is a clean person a human being you can kill the indian and save the man i mean some of these churches that ran these schools literally believe and and they would actually play with photographs i mean you, you can find this stuff online they believed that if you indoctrinated a native person enough with religion their skin would actually lighten yeah, yeah, they really believe that. They believe that if you if you pounded them with Bible enough, I mean, because there was this whole thing about, I mean, it was within the Mormon churches, but other churches believe this too. You know that that darkness of skin was a curse by God. They they literally believe this. I mean, they forgot that Jesus was probably a black, or you know, they want to ignore the fact that Jesus was probably a black man. I mean, if he existed at all. <laughs> but no, this is this was the 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 insane the absurdity of of this their belief systems i mean and their politicians said look if we can't bring native people into the the modern civilization of the united states then they must be destroyed i mean, there there's these were state senators these are us senators that were saying this stuff senator harlan of iowa if they can't become civilized if they can't be a part of the American, the humanity of America, they must be destroyed. That's what he said, and that's and that's what they did. So let's let's talk about some of the deaths here. Look, by some estimates, on the U.S. side, it was between six and eight thousand kids who died at schools. These schools had had graveyards. I mean, think about that. I mean, in the world that we live in, can you imagine the school that you send your kids to? I mean, granted, I know they're not boarding schools, but can you imagine the schools having enough frequency of deaths that they had to have their own graveyard? 
Carlisle Indian School had a had a pretty big great graveyard, and 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 now Carlisle, which was the, the model. I mean, it, it was the the model for you know for, for these residential schools, and there were others. I mean, there were some that weren't even necessarily that connected to the uh you know to to a federal program. And this, the school here on the Cattaraugus territory, the Thomas Indian School, was actually started out as an orphanage, and and ultimately would would still become a uh, you know one of these classic residential schools. And there would be some connection. Some kid, you know, some kids would be shipped from from Thomas Indian School to Carlisle and to other schools. And and even on the on the Canadian side, I mean, on the Canadian side, I mean, it's when it came to Native people, they they would ship these kids, you know, from uh, um, the Mush Hole in uh, in Six Nations or on, on the uh, on, in Ontario, or back to Thomas Indian School or, or vice versa. But Carlisle Indian School, which was the model. Had a a substantial graveyard. I mean, I mean, hundreds of of kids were buried there. Hundreds, and and you know, according to to the records, you know, the initial count, there were two hundred thirty deaths at Carlisle Indian School. Carlisle Indian School ran for just less than forty years, just under forty years, from eighteen seventy nine to nineteen eighteen. Now. Just because Carlisle closed down in 1918, don't think for a second here that that all residential schools closed down on, on the U.S. Some of those residential schools were operating until the 1970s, that far into the 20th century. On the Canadian side, to the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, 1990s. That's how long these schools, again, operated, administered by, by, by church organizations. That's how long these things existed. But for 39 years, the Carlisle Indian School, 230 uh, kids, according to their initial records, perished at that school. But one of these uh, college um, students uh, out of Dartmouth was was studying Carlisle Indian School, and he puts the calculation closer to 500. Closer to almost double what, what, what the records initial records from Carlisle Indian School suggested. Almost double. And here's the thing. More than that died. Because what would what these schools became aware of was that this was a burden to have these kids die on their in, in their within their care. So what they would do is if they had a kid that they knew was probably not going to survive, they all of a sudden they'd send him home. These kids have never some of these kids never got sent home. Except for when it was time to die. So Carlisle Indian School by itself had probably over 500 deaths at the school and maybe double that if you count the kids they sent home to as, uh, only to die. That they were sent home only to die. And that's just one school. And you know, and you can find in the historical record videos and pictures. I mean, they were proud of what they were doing this with these schools. They were absolutely proud of themselves, what they were doing, what they're the way they were terrorizing these kids. And you know, and and they used them. I mean, not only the, the guys like Jim Thorpe get used to you know to show what they could do with a native kid, but they put together football teams to compete against the Ivy League schools. Sometimes young, much younger native kids being put against some of the, the best college football. There wasn't pro teams yet. Against some of the best college football teams. Much bigger kids. Older kids. 
grown men, essentially. But these native kids, and they and they'd say, "Look how good they are." In fact, one of these you know famous games—I don't know if it was Yale or Harvard—I think it was Yale, or maybe maybe even Princeton. I don't know. They they who was you know considered the elite football team of the United States. They put together a native te- uh, team, and again, Carlisle—they were so proud of themselves because they could field a team of talented athletes that would compete against Ivy League schools. And, and apparently, the the refs almost had to cheat; had to throw the game. Uh, you know, to the Ivy League school in order for the to beat the native kids. But as much as that might be a testament to the the will, I guess, and and the competitive nature and, and the athleticism of native kids, it was more of a bragging right for the uh, for the very existence of these schools. That's that's what it was what it was based on. So again, Carlisle Indian School, five hundred kids dead, and you know here's the crazy part. This, this graveyard, which still exists there, and they've been they've been digging some of these graves up and, and returning some of these kids. Only only recently, I, I just read a story about a month ago uh, about three kids who were returned to Oneida um, uh, in Wisconsin. Only a month only a month ago. But here's the thing: they didn't even know the names of some of these kids. Some of the the graves that you you can see down at, at Carlisle, and they're still there. Many of them have been eliminated. But they'll say unknown on them. How the hell do you have a school with kids in it and you don't even know the freaking names? Especially since you took their names away and gave them names. I mean, you look at some of these names. They weren't native names. I mean, some of them may have seen, you know, some of them, uh, like I said, the, the kids who were returned to um, to Wisconsin, it was uh, uh, Metoxin, Dockstater, some of these names that, that people did were familiar with Oneida names. But others all good Christian first names. But as many as 50 of the graves, from what I understood at Carlisle, just were graves marked unknown. So they didn't even know the names of the kids. Now, that's just Carlisle Indian School. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened just to to, to kind of mark this day was um, uh, on the Canadian side, uh, this one group, in um, uh, produced a, a banner, this huge banner with with twenty eight hundred names, twenty eight confirmed names of kids who died in residential schools, and they delivered it to a um, to a Canadian museum to put on be put on display. Now that twenty eight hundred names isn't uh, that's not all the all the kids who died. Those are the ones that they 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 have well documented. They there's there's somewhere between sixteen hundred and, and two thousand more kids that they don't don't even have the names for. And then there's all these these rumors which are you know are probably credible of mass graves. You know there there's some a few nuts like Kevin Annette running around you know claiming that that he's discovered mass graves and he runs around with a bunch of bones in his pockets claiming that the you know that he dug them up and I mean this guy's kind of a nut but but the suggestion that there are mass graves is is very credible. Because I mean, look, this, they were proud of what they were doing there, except for, except for these deaths. And, and unlike going back a little, you know, to a little previous history with folks like, you know, this, this guy that the, this Pope made a saint, this Huna Parasera, who didn't really care if, if these kids died. Once he baptized them, he felt like he delivered souls to, to you know, to their, their church. 
He delivered souls. That's that's the way he, he viewed it. Didn't matter if they died at five years old. These schools were not were, were not as happy about having to deal with with these deaths. Although they certainly certainly did abuse these kids. And again, the trauma that these children experienced was just incredible. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll, we'll take a break and when we come back. Uh, I want to go a little bit more on this because there there's there's more to talk about. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll get into it when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back. to somebody let them know talk to your friends let your feelings show even if it feels like there's nobody don't let go sometimes it feels like The walls are closing in Sometimes it feels like You'll never fit in You know lots of people love you Don't let go Even if you think No one cares about you Please remember there's something you can do Not by yourself, I know that much is true Reach out your hand, there'll be someone there for you Just reach out Try to be brave Pretend there's nothing wrong But you need a little help, child To make you feel strong You know lots of people love you So don't let go Lots of people love you Don't let go Lots of people All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, and the good folks uh, associated with the Grand River Enterprises. I want to thank them for supporting the show. Uh, look, these are sponsors that either support us weekly or monthly uh, that allow us to do what we do here. Uh, I know that we've had you know a, a lot of sponsors over the years. Look, we're in our tenth year here. We were we were paying a big price to be on commercial radio a few years ago, and uh, and and that's where we got our start. And we had you know look many of the businesses here in Cattaraugus, a, a few out in Tonawanda, some out in Tuscarora. We you know a few down in Allegheny. We, look, I got some support from. 
from a lot of different places. Uh, uh, even my good friend Harry Wallace down in, uh, in uh, Puspatuck, I've, I've gotten a lot of support to, um, to enable us to be in our 10th year and have conversations that, again, these are conversations that need to be had. Now, oftentimes they're not comfortable conversations, and I know that, you know, I, and I don't, my plan isn't to offend people. You can't talk about some of these issues and not offend some people. Look, if you're if you're a devoted Christian and you became indoctrinated into that faith through these residential schools, sometimes it's tough to hear about this stuff. Look, Indian country today used to run this this I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to talk about how great it was to go to residential schools. You know what? If you spoke English, if you were already converted and and were a devout devoted Christian when you went to a residential school it probably was a bit of a picnic you could look you could do the the christmas plays and play joseph and you know mary and all that stuff but if if that wasn't your culture if it was if you if if it was offensive to you then you were going to be brought in line look we are still carrying the intergenerational trauma, and I know that's a big, uh, you know, a big expression. We're still carrying the effects of those residential schools. Look, these schools severed the entire family connection. I mean, the 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 connection between father and son, mother and daughter, between community. It was completely severed. There are little kids who came out of these schools not ever having been nurtured. Never, not even knowing what this idea of love and uh, you know this concept of, of family love and affection is. So, whether you went to a residential school or not, if your parents or your grandparents did, this got passed down generation after generation. Some of the uh, the trauma, the effects of these schools, and you know what? I said these schools lasted for over a hundred years. The 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 practice of ripping kids away from families is still going on today. Look, we come out of the 60s, even as these residential schools were 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 you know being phased out, we, there's the 60s scoop, which was this massive uh grab of kids out of uh you know out of homes to put into foster care, to put into um adoption agencies selling these kids some of these kids there was actually a price tag now oh, you want an indian kid sure we got we got them they were they were literally put up for sale and and, and so all these native kids got got raised by white people and and you know what and it's not just the end of the story there because it's not like a kid who was taken from their people and then raised in a white household doesn't that they still have a void in their life I mean, the, the same thing that a lot of, you know, kids in foster care or adoption go through, wondering why the parents didn't want them. Not ever knowing that it, oftentimes it wasn't even a choice. So you're left with that. And, of course, if you're native and you're, and you're raised in a white house, you know there's something a little different about you. You, you got white siblings and, and, you got, and, and you got brown skin. Yeah, it, it, it kind of presents itself. In Maine, they did uh, they did a truth and reconciliation commission. 
which was more based not just on the residential schools, but on this on this very thing. The the number of kids that were ripped from homes and put into, into foster care and into the adoption system. I mean, most places still won't even address it. I mean, look, we talk about slavery, we talk about genocide, but we don't even, you can't even quantify the layers of genocide that the United States and Canada committed against Native people. I mean, at first blush, everybody everybody can seem to recognize. Oh yeah, the the idea of killing killing people. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. Uh, the bounties for scalps. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. But we can go item by item. Everything from bounties being paid. <clears throat> this whole idea. You know, you, you hear these talking heads on television when they say something like, "Oh yeah, Chet, he really went off the reservation on that one." That expression is is a racist expression. First off. And the reference is that if a person went off the reservation, they were considered not just a wild person, an untamed person, but they were considered a hostile. And it was legal to kill a native person if they were off the reservation. It's like, you know, it's like the reservation was was like a game preserve that you couldn't hunt on. (laughs) And if any of those animal Indians wandered off that territory, then you could take your shot at them. The layers of genocide and, and and are are incredible, and the fact that the the psychology of the the oppressor uh, oppressor is is so devious that they knew one of the ways that they could you know get around the you know the the blatant killing of native people was to was to grab the children. I mean, and again, let's not forget what I said earlier. Part of what some of these these young women went through was was sterilization. When um, back in the seventies, when the uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs building was taken over, that was some of the stuff that they they pulled out of some of those documents out of the BIA, some of the records associated with the sterilization programs. So this was done in and out of these these residential schools through through Indian Health Services. How many people? You, you know, you just it begs the question. Many of these girls had no idea this is what was being done to them. They didn't know. They, they were just told they had to go through these procedures. They didn't know what was happening to them. When, when um, on the occasion that Native people could go home for a couple of months in the summer or, or, or whatever from these schools, they, they would actually be furloughed. If, they were, if, they, if they're granted a furlough to go home, the women would experience a pelvic examination when they got back. Yeah, the, these priests and nuns wanted to make sure that these, uh, they claimed this was about trying to protect their virginity. The fact that there was so much sexual abuse in these schools obviously belies that, uh, that you know, suggestion. But yeah, the, this didn't end with residential schools. We're still experiencing it today. I mean, the United States had passed the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is which is kind of bullshit. I mean, we need to protect our kids. We don't need the federal government trying to do it because they don't. In fact, baby Jessica is, is a perfect example of, of how the failure of it. And, and one of the ways they get around the Indian Child Welfare Act is by bringing kids from, from the Canadian side into white families on the U.S. side and vice versa. Cross a, you know international border and all of a sudden these... You know, these domestic laws don't really matter much, does it? This 
is what the residential schools is. And and again, I'm one of the people that when we talk about the mascot issue, yeah, the the exploitation, the, the whole idea of of white kids dressing up as native kids for their for their fun and entertainment at their schools. Many of these schools adopted these native mascots at the same time that native kids were being beaten to the point of death for trying to hang on to their identity. The I mean the ironic absurdity of native kids being beaten for being native while white kids taxpayer schools were funding white kids to to play as redskins as warriors as indians as chiefs as braves as savages or whatever the hell else they wanted to call themselves so what <laughs> When I hear any of these folks, these white folks, say, oh, no, we adopted a name to honor you. No, you want to honor us? You should have shut some goddamn residential schools down is what you should have done. There's no honor here. This is ex- exploitation. That's all, it, that's all it ever was. That's all these residential schools ever were. And all this mascot issue ever was. I don't know how you can have a conversation about white kids playing Indian playing Indian dress-up, you know, or or Trump mocking, you know, Elizabeth Warren with his Pocahontas co- comments or or Halloween comments. I don't know how you even have that conversation when you understand what Native children experienced for, for generations. These residential schools existed. For more generations, this scooping up of kids for foster care, st- being stripped away from... Look, you know, and the crazy part is you break the family unit, and then you say, "Oh, the, these families are are, are dysfunctional, so we got to take the children away." You create this dysfunction with a hundred years of residential schools, with forcing people to live in abject poverty, and then you tell a parent you're incapable of taking care of your kids, so we're going to take it. I mean, this is, you know, isn't just a self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, this is. This is them creating a system that is intentionally dysfunctional so they can continue to oppress people. You know, and and here's the crazy part. I'm not criticizing Native kids who had to survive residential schools or the 60s scoop or any of the foster care stuff. But here's what's kind of sad is when I look at the successful Native people within that that system, I mean, whether they're the lawyers or the journalists or the actresses, more often than not, or the actors, I'm sorry, more often than not, these are the kids who um, um, who are not, are not from Native territories. They were, they were scooped up by white people, whether it was residential schools. And, and you know, and if we're talking about th- people today, I mean, some of the the most iconic Native people you're, that you'll see out there don't have a uh, don't really have that solid Native foundation. They were raised by white people, and those are the people that that we as Native people will still look at like they're those successful ones. So what we do is we we validate the the, the entire practice by by looking at these people. Oh yeah, those people are so those so successful. Oh, they went to Harvard. Yeah, they went to Harvard, all right. 
yeah, mom and dad, mom, white mom and dad figured out a way that they could, you know, take their token native kid and push him through the system. And didn't, didn't they didn't they do a great job? And and again, I'm not trying to cre- look. We're all victims here in some of this stuff, but we still can't seem to focus on the people who are every day living on a native territory and and are every day trying to maintain an identity and an existence and whatever how, whatever measure you want that want to use for success look we played don't let go at the break that's my reporter song dedicated towards towards suicide prevention because suicide is a direct result of some of these policies this genocide residential schools foster care abject poverty look we aren't killing ourselves because we're happy and we aren't killing ourselves in some sort of mystic pursuit of happiness no it's giving up look i i showed a film in new york i talked about uh, even the rain you know there's the scenes in there where where the the native uh, women were uh, who were playing a, a role in uh, in producing a Columbus film are being asked to to kill their babies, or at least pretend to kill their babies for the for the film. And the the native woman women wouldn't do it. They couldn't even imagine that. But think about that. This is infanticide, the killing of your children to prevent them. Look, we we hear people all the time say, "Oh, I'm not I'm not going to bring a child into this world." We actually had experiences where. This wasn't about bringing people, our, our children, into the world. It was about taking them out of the world. The level of oppression and abuse that Native people were experiencing at, at, at various times, back to Columbus, going up through, you know, the, the 18th century and the 19th century and the, and the 20th century. We had people who were, who were not just willing to kill themselves, but, but to take, take their children with them. I mean, this, what Native people experience is, is unique. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, Native people in, in Australia, New Zealand, and Africa didn't experience some of this stuff. But this is you know, supposed to be these two countries that want to champ, you know, pretend they're champions of human rights. This great experiment in democracy. Democracy, my ass. Look, so when I talk about What's going on in the United States here now or in Canada? Some of the breakdown, the, the social breakdown, the political breakdown. Yeah, there's a part of me that says, yeah, this is chickens coming home to roost. You can't create a country on the exploitation of black people and the genocide of, of, of native people and not think that it's some, gonna somehow that it's never gonna show up again. Your system that was built on on absolute exploitation of people when you can no longer exploit people the same way and and look I, I marvel at the creativity that American capitalism has in finding other ways to exploit people but every one of those challenges causes another problem and what's what the United States is experiencing now not just because of Donald Trump I mean look, he's just a he's a symptom of a, of a bigger problem White people are worried. White people are worried that they're going to have to pay the price for uh, 
for what they've what they've done for centuries. They know what they know what their ancestors did. And look, as much as they, you know, they, they'll pretend, look, we we didn't do that. That was hundreds of years ago. Get over. I was just in a debate with somebody from the Albany area, saying, "Oh yeah, any of the people want to cry racism just because of something that took place over a hundred years ago." You want to ignore the fact that that there, that some of this oppression still exists today? You know, one of the reasons that kids were scooped up um, for residential schools and and are taking out of, taken out of homes for foster care, one of the reasons was alcoholism. And alcoholism, we, we don't produce alcohol on our territories. We weren't the uh, the moonshiners, uh, you know, <laughs> of the South. We weren't, you know, uh, you know, producing, you know, Tennessee sipping whiskey. Alcohol was shipped into our territories. The requisition of alcohol, rum or gin, whatever, the requisition of these this was this was part of treaty materials. Yeah, when it was time to sit down with native people, let's bring in the wagon loads of, wagon loads of booze first. They literally used alcohol for treaty negotiations. They, they, I mean, you, you talk about the crack cocaine problem in the, in the black community. Where do you think they got the idea from? They had done the same damn thing to native people with alcohol. And so now you want to sit there and say, well, yeah, native people have a, a have a real high substance abuse problem. Yeah. Really? Wonder how that happened. And then, you create the alcoholism problem on our territories. I mean, <laughs> I mean and, and it gets, I mean, you want to talk about market and free market and all that other stuff? Red clay, right outside of uh, native territory. So more beer than than any other store in, in the entire state. I think it's South Dakota. Uh, I may get that wrong, but South Dakota, North Dakota. But Red Clay, they had a little store that was selling just a ton of booze just off the native territory it was set up there to specifically to take advantage of the of the alcohol addictions that were taken that took that that was created on native territories you know, these trading posts i mean every you know, everything from the dawes act and the, the allotment process the, the idea of, of making sure that white people were set up set up in business right close to native territories and especially stocked up every time you know, money would come into the territories. Yeah, I mean, some of these native people um, were getting paid poorly, but were getting paid for the land that was that was stolen from them, or their oil revenues, or or whatever else. And so there you'd have you'd have one of these trading posts set up, and yeah, they had the essentials, all right, the essential jugs of booze. Alcoholism was um, intentional. It was an intentional act to create alcoholism on our native territories just like the the crack cocaine in the black communities was they had a perfect model to follow so you create that you know and i think it just came out uh, recently uh, uh, one of nixon's aides he said oh yeah <laughs> the war on drugs yeah it, it the war on drugs had two functions to to target black people and the anti-war movement because that was considered the hippie movement so you get if you went after marijuana and cocaine you, um if you if you said that's what you were trying to stop you could justify arresting uh you know hippies and black people well i mean 
for Native people, we were already imprisoned for all intents and purposes because of, of, of the reservation system. And so you you'd create these these places these these pockets of just abject poverty, and then then you would say, okay, well, our our solution to this is we're going to take all the kids out of there, and then we're going to place them in other homes. Not only going to put them in residential schools. See that, and keep in mind. So, what did the residential schools teach these kids? What did they prepare these children for? Did they prepare them for a career? Hell no. They prepared the men, the boys, to enlist in the military, and they prepared the women to be in the service, to be maids. Servants for white people. Just a whole different kind of slavery, I guess. So women were, were, were taught to be maids, and uh, or young women were taught to be maids, and young men were taught to be soldiers. So one would service the white people, and the others would kill for them. That's what the residential schools... I mean, that's what residential schools were for. It was about conditioning the, these kids. And th- then you then you follow the stories. You follow the stories of all these kids who, who went into military service. Ira Hayes. And, and of course, the, the ultimate legacy, even for a lot of these kids who would go be raised by white people, they would still be plagued with some of the trauma being ripped from the families. So even even those kids as adults would have substance abuse problems, alcohol problems, suicide problems, depression. So on the day after Orange Shirt Day, I think it's important that we as Native people recognize what was really done to us. And, And you know what? If we really recognize what was done to us, perhaps we would be a little less complicit in our own self-assimilation processes. Maybe we would reject some of the indoctrination. Maybe we would reject... Yeah, look, I, I understand why people enlist in the military. It's, it's because there's oftentimes so very few options for people to, to work or to, or to have some sort of dignified career. Military seemed like... I mean, how crazy is it that putting on a, a uniform and killing for the country that committed this genocide against you, that that seemed like a good option. That, that, that may have been your best option, or in some cases, people felt it was their only option. I mean, how insane is it that we would be in a situation where we, where we, we, we would believe that our best options, our best prospect for the future was to enlist in the very armed forces that that were killed that killed our people, you know, a generation or so prior. I mean, how absurd is that? And and when I and when I do battle with people on a daily basis over voting, I mean, in North Dakota, as they tell the native people, you can't register to vote unless you can provide us with a legal address, the place that you sleep at night. Unless you can provide us with a legal address on your voter registration form so we can say that where you live is in this district or that district, you can't vote. And what do our people do? They don't say, oh, wait, what the hell's up with that? We don't say, well, wait, why, why would we have to do that? Why do they need to know where I live? Why do I have to list my home address if I got a if I got a PO box, why, why is that not good enough? 
No, we don't ask that question. What do we do? He says, hey, how can I get an address that I can give these people? Let me just put a blindfold on and jump through the hoops that they're putting in front of me. We shouldn't be listing our uh, where we live. We should not be listing our territories in anybody's legislative district. And keep in mind, as much as we think that we have some success fighting the states, those legislative districts, those are state-run. States run elections, not the federal. The federal government doesn't run elections. The states do. So anything that we do to conform with, with voters, with voting and voter registration, that's not just assimilating to the will of the federal government. It's assimilating to the will of the state. Yeah, North Dakota. <laughs> Look, if we do our own proper examination on what our people were put through, I mean, through all of the genocide, but but specifically what they did to our children with residential schools and foster care and adoption. It should make us rethink what we're willing to do to continue to, to you know, our own self-imposed assimilation. All right, folks, we, we chewed up that hour. <laughs> I look forward to your comments and I look forward to having more conversation about this issue. And we will talk about residential schools again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the program. Yahweh. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native.